You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. We'll start with verse one and then we'll jump ahead a little bit. Uh, I've got a message for our church family that I believe is not only for us personally, but for us is to, for us together as a church family to say, this is some direction. This, this word defines why we do what we do. Because I think it's important to know the why. Do you know 80% of New Year's resolutions fail uh, within the first month? And they usually fail because sometimes we, we are motivated out of guilt or out of something negative. Uh, instead of really being motivated for something that's in, deep down on the inside, a why, a reason why, uh, that really motivates us and pushes us to real and lasting change. Uh, but but here's, here's what happens. We oftentimes uh, forget and lose sight of, even as the church, the most important thing. And I believe the most important thing is one, it's Jesus, but also what Jesus came to do, which was to seek and save that which is lost. If you're taking notes, the message title today is that all may hear, that all may hear. Uh, Romans 10 verse one is, just set the context, the apostle Paul wrote this to a group of Christians he had never met in person. Uh, The Roman church was the one of the most influential, impactful churches in the world, but it was actually one of the few that Paul didn't start. Uh, And he was eager to go there uh, to share the good news, to pray, to impart spiritual gifts, do all these things. But he wrote the letter that we know as the book of Romans to kind of lay out a fundamental foundation of what the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus looks like. And, and as he unpacks that, it brings him to chapter 10, verse 1, where as he thinks about his own uh, nation, his own people, Paul being a Jew, uh, he's thinking about the condition, the spiritual condition of the Jewish people, of his own people, and uh, who many of whom at that point had rejected Jesus as the Messiah and the good news of Jesus coming to save us from our sins. And, and, and here's what Paul said. He said, brethren, my heart's desire, my deep down desire, and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. My heart's desire, my prayer, if, if you want to see real change this year, let your desires fuel your prayers. Let what you really desire to see God do, what you really are asking or, or wanting or needing God to do in your life, let that direct and fuel your prayer life. Don't just think about it, pray about it. Don't worry about it, pray about it. And, and, and maybe, you know, if you've ever had somebody close to you that's far from God, and many of us do, most of us do, your heart's desire is that they would find Jesus. Your heart's desire and prayer is that those who are far from God would come close, that those who are lost would become found, that, that we would be saved. He says, I, I desire that they be saved. You know, as a Christian, sometimes we've been in church so long that we're used to these terms like saved, and we forget that somebody's hearing that for the first time. Somebody's hearing that story, that verse, that, 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 that word even for the first time and may not even know what they need to be saved from. See, Jesus came to save us, came from heaven to earth to save us from our sin and from the penalty of our sin, which is death. Death being separation spiritually from the life of God and separated for eternity that there's a heaven and there's a hell, one with God and one separated because of sin from God. And Jesus came to save us from our sins. 
That's the heart of why God sent Jesus, the heart of what we just celebrated with Christmas and all of that. Uh, but, but here's what Paul says. My desire for those that I love, that I deeply love, is that they would be saved. Do you know, I think as a Christian, you should have enough people in your life that are outside of the church and outside of uh, your, your relationship with God that you, listen, you need people in your life that don't know all the lingo. Are you with me? We need to get around some people. They typically say after five years that most Christians no longer have or know closely anybody that's far from God. Now, now sometimes I understand when you come to Jesus, there's some influences in your life that, man, you've got to set boundaries and you've got to separate from some things. And maybe going to a new year, what you need are some new relationships and new friendships and new, new environments and new groups to, to grow with God and all of that. But it's important that we also don't get so isolated as the church that we go into a spiritual monastery and we don't understand what the world needs. And we also forget that they don't talk like us. Some people don't even know what saved means. You just need enough people that are lost in your life that you don't get weird yourself. Amen. <laughs> There was, a, there was a girl, she went to school and was telling her, uh, telling her teacher about what she learned at, at Sunday school, and she was excited because she just learned about Jonah and the whale, and she heard about how Jonah was sent by God with a message to the city of Nineveh, and because Jonah ran from God, God did whatever it took to get Jonah to Nineveh, and go. so God sent a, a, a fish, I believe a whale, and, and, and took that whale and swallowed up Jonah and took him to Nineveh, and, and this girl's so excited about this story, she goes and tells her teacher, and she says, teacher, I learned this in church this week, and I'm, I, I want to tell you about this because it was so amazing that Jonah was swallowed by this whale and brought to Nineveh and, and all of that. And God, God when, the, when the city turned back to God, he saved them. And, and she, the, the girl's telling her teacher this. Well, the teacher doesn't believe in God. And in fact, the teacher's a little cynical. Uh, the teacher looks at her, says something sarcastic to her. She says, well, that's not possible that a man could be swallowed up by a whale and still live. Man couldn't be swallowed up by a fish or a whale or anything and, and still be alive. And I just don't believe that. And this girl said, well, I don't know how it's possible, but one day when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. The teacher, uh, she kind of responded sarcastically again. She said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? What if he's in hell? Little girl thought about it for a second, and then she said, well, in that case, why don't you ask him? Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But here's our, here's our main focus today, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Faith is how we receive the free gift of salvation. We put our faith in Jesus to be our sacrifice, our Savior, our Redeemer, to set us free from our sin, and, and, and we receive eternal life through Jesus, forgiveness of our sin. Uh, how shall they call on Jesus to be saved if they've never believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've never heard? Do you know right now on planet Earth, there's over 5.5 billion people who have never heard the good news of Jesus? I don't mean backslid, had some peripheral experience with church. I mean, they've not even experienced, they've never even heard the gospel of Jesus. 5.5 billion people on planet earth will live their entire life separated, lost, never hearing the good news, unless somebody does what the rest of this says. How shall they believe in whom they've not heard, and how shall they hear without somebody telling them, without a preacher? 
And how shall they preach or proclaim the good news unless they are sent? Can I just tell you that this is not just for pastors and missionaries, but this is for every Christian. This is for every person that calls on the name of Jesus, every person that Jesus has made a difference in your life, every every person raising your family and building your marriage and, and going to work day in, day out, every person that, that's building your business, every person that, 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 that is, that it, whatever we're involved in and called to, all of us have this mandate to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to hear so that they can put their trust in Jesus. I believe Jesus is coming back again, but you know the reason why there's actually a delay? The Bible tells us, 2 Peter 3, says the reason Jesus is delayed in coming is, is, listen, Jesus can come at the end of this message. But you know why the Bible tells us there's a delay between the first coming of Jesus and the second? He's not willing that any should perish. What is on the heart of God is that all may hear. If you want to know why we do what we do as a church, and there's some decisions we make that you go, I've never seen a church do that before. I've never, you know, there's certain adjustments we make or certain things we'll do all for this reason because what fuels and motivates, and I believe it's what every church is called to, is that we would cause everyone to have an opportunity to hear in our city, in our family, in our nation, and in the world around us. How shall they believe if they've never heard? And how shall they hear unless somebody tells them? How beautiful, verse 15, are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So, so we are called, all of us are called to share the good news of Jesus, to make a difference in the world, a difference that outlasts our life. There's lots of things we can do that make a difference, but there's some things that make a difference in the short term. And there's some things that actually can make a difference for eternity. And when we bring the good news of Jesus to the world, hope to a hopeless world, we're bringing them something that has eternal ramifications. I told you this a couple weeks ago, but there's only one thing we can take with us to heaven. And it's the lives that we've impacted for Jesus. I've decided and I've learned over these years that I need to live for what's going to matter in the final day. What's going to matter in the end. I believe we're called to live with the mandate. This is the mandate. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, the good news to every creature, to every person. Matthew's version of that, 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 that message the great, we know as the Great Commission is that we're to make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything Jesus commanded the first early disciples. We're to continue to teach that to disciple even nations. And that together is the mandate of the church. You know, there's a difference between a conviction and a mandate. A conviction is something I believe so strongly within my life that, man, I'm willing to die for it. I believe this conviction so strongly. I believe this about God or about the truth of the word of God or, or as, a, as a Christian, as an American, whatever it is that established your convictions, that it's a conviction is something I'm willing to die for to defend. But a mandate's different. A mandate is something I'm actually willing to give my life to or die to achieve. This is not something we're dying to defend like a position, but it's something we have to and are called to and commissioned by Jesus himself to achieve, to reach the world with the good news, with the message of salvation. And this is the calling for every single one of us. There's going to be some things this year we're going to prioritize for the sake that all may hear. There's going to be things we give to 
for the sake that all may hear. We've given tens of thousands last year of dollars to missions and outreach so that all may hear that people who are far from God can come close. If you've ever had a child that's lost in a store, man, you may have three other kids and they're concerned about dinner that night and they're concerned about what, you know, when we get to go home and play games and, and, and what are we gonna eat for dinner and they're concerned about all that, but you know what you're concerned about? The kid who's lost. And while those other things are important to you, the most important in that moment and what's preoccupying your attention is the one that's lost. And Jesus came to seek and to save what was far, what was lost. My wife, anytime she goes into Target or TJ Maxx, gets lost. And I, I love, I'm so thankful that Apple put on the iPhone, find my location. Because find my location is not so I can find my lost phone, it's so I can find my wife in TJ Maxx. She went yesterday for a little bit and, and said, I'm going real quick. And then three hours later, I thought, I've got to call in a rescue party. She says, I'm exaggerating. Um, do you know what preoccupies the heart of God? It's what's lost. Luke chapter two, verse 41. I love this story. I shared it before. Uh, this is right after the Christmas story. And it fast forwards a little bit in the story of Jesus from when he was born in Bethlehem to now when he's 12 years old. And it says in that course, that span of time, that his parents would go to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And here's what they did. When they finished those days for the feast, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing Jesus to have been in the company, the group that they were traveling with, they went on a day's journey. Imagine losing your kid for 24 hours and not knowing it. <laughs> not just that, it's Jesus. Okay, uh, they went on a day's journey and they sought him among their relatives and their acquaintances. And so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking after him. And now it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting there in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and at his answers. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why in the world have you done this to us? Do you know how this made us feel? <laughs> uh, any parents really mastered the guilt trip? Like you're really good? Like you don't, this spanking is going to hurt me more than her too. I mean, no, that's just not true. That's just not true. But anyway, uh, but, but here's, here's, what, here's what she says. She says, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I are seeking you anxiously. And Jesus' response is this. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. And they didn't understand what was told. I love this story for a couple reasons, you know, and uh, I've pointed this out before, but I, I love how in the busyness of the routine in the holiday, just like we've just passed a season that's busy and sometimes chaotic for some of us and a little crazy, sometimes in the busyness of the season, you can lose track of what matters most. And they're celebrating the Passover, which they were commanded to do, and they would actually appear every year, and they did it for 12 years into Jerusalem, going about the routine and the custom, and they're doing the same thing over and over and over. But somewhere along the way on this trip, they lost track of Jesus. And I know God will never leave you nor forsake you, but can I just tell you, there's some moments in our life where 
I know I, for one, have made plans and I've gone on a certain direction and realized that, that somewhere along the way I stopped praying. Somewhere along the way, I stopped being in the word of God. Somewhere along the way, I I disconnected from the purpose and the mission for which I was called. And I disconnected from a closeness with God that God desires for all of us. And somewhere along the way, I got so preoccupied with my agenda that I missed an assignment. And I missed the person. Mary and Joseph are in a moment where they're so preoccupied with just getting back to their routine, getting back home, that they've lost track of the most important person in their midst, Jesus And the only answer for them was the only answer still for us that we don't continue on with the same routine and the same habits and the same cycles and the same patterns, but we recognize what's missing and we go back to where, because listen, we don't ask Jesus, why don't you catch up to here? But we say, I'm going to go back to where I left you, go back to the point to which I went my own way, and I'm going to go back to that moment. I'm going to go back to find Jesus. And I love this story because they come back and Jesus tells them, why are you surprised? I'm doing what I'm sent here to do. I'm about my father's business. Jesus would later tell us what that family business was, the business of heaven. It's to seek and to save what was lost. Do you know that as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, You've not only received the gift of salvation and forgiveness of of your sins, but you've been given a calling, an assignment, a purpose. You know, God could have put you at any point in history, in any generation, but he put you right here and now. And he called you for such a moment as this. I, I, I love this because, do you know, right now, there are more people alive today on planet Earth than all of human history combined. What a unique moment that God called you. And sent you. And he called us to leave business as usual. Hear me. To join the family business. Because guess what? You're adopted in the same family. He rescued you. He saved you. And he brought you into the family so that you and I would live for something that's going to matter for eternity. While we're raising our kids, we're raising them in the things of God. While we're building our marriage, we're building on a foundation of Jesus. While we're growing our business, we're instilling character and integrity in the principles of the kingdom to make a difference in the lives of people. While we're, while we're showing up on our job, we're being a light in the midst of darkness. We're, we're, when everybody else is gossiping and talking bad about somebody behind their back, we're talking good about them behind their back. There's a good kind of gossip. Did you know that? You can talk about somebody and you can honor people. Why don't you start blessing people behind their back? (laughs) And all of that is to recognize that we've been given the Father's business. You know what keeps us from that many times? The enemy has three primary weapons. He has deception, a lie that we believe, keeps us bound. He has compromise that he gets us to fall into the snare and trap of, of old sins. But if he can't get us with either of those, he gets us with something so much more subtle, but just as dangerous, and it's the weapon of distraction. He gets us with the weapon of distraction, and in that routine, it was in the routine, good routines. Hear me, good routines. As they're going to Jerusalem and celebrating the feast and doing all the things for the Passover, they somehow miss Jesus along the way. Deuteronomy 2.3 tells a story generations before of Israel when they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And there was one particular moment. I always love what it says in Deuteronomy 2 because here's what it tells them. As they're walking around, God notices that they're going in circles. 
<laughs> like, like, have you ever driven in a neighborhood or driven in a new area and, and you realize, I think we just passed the same street. I think we just went this way already. I think we're lost. And here's what they're doing. They're going around the same hills and the same mountains over and over and over again. Uh, during this last week of the year, I've started taking time to evaluate the previous year, not only to plan and dream and pray about the coming year, but I've learned to have certain dashboards in my life that I evaluate and go, how am I doing in all these different areas? Not for like some kind of self-condemnation, oh man, I'm really doing terrible over here, but to go, hey, I want to evaluate my experience over this last year, one, to celebrate what God did, but also go, how can I grow? You know, sometimes we've been married 20 years, but we've actually been really married one year repeated 20 times. We've been a Christian 20 years, but we've actually been a Christian for one year repeated 20 times. Selah. <laughs> Let me think about it. Uh, so so here's, here's what I've learned, and this actually, uh, John Maxwell, great leadership guy, Christian leader, uh, makes, you know, everywhere he goes, he shares Jesus. Uh, he says this, experience is not the best teacher. I love that. We think, man, the best teacher, I have so much experience. Look at all my experience. Look at all the things I've done. Do you know what real, what really is the best teacher? It's evaluated experience. Not just that I check another day off the calendar, not just that I go through another week, not just that I show up another day at work, or I just spend another day with my family, but there's actually an evaluation of how am I doing here so that I can grow. And here's the, mer- the word to Israel in the middle of the, the wilderness and the desert. Deuteronomy 2.3 in the message, it says, You've been going around in circles in these hills long enough. <laughs> he tells them, go turn north. I want to ask you, what is keeping you in business as usual? Keeping you from growing in your faith? Keeping you from the mission to which you're called? What you're created for? Using your God-given gifts and purpose to fulfill the will of God in your life. What's keeping us distracted from joining the family business? You have a vital role to play. I'm gonna give you three things today. They're simple, but I believe they're how we carry out the Father's business. And I've already kind of touched on them and already talked about them a little bit today, and we're, we're as a church, positioning ourselves for this new year to do these very things. But here's the first one. We need to pray. The second is we need to give. And third is we need to go. We need to pray. Let's look at the first one. We need to pray fervently. If you're taking notes, write this down. We need to pray fervently. I don't mean just pray for the sake of praying. Do you know what religion does? It, it elevates the discipline of prayer to just be an activity in and of itself. Like we pray so that we can say, I prayed today. But you know what prayer is meant to do? It's meant to be the means by which God moves in our life. Prayer draws me close to God. Prayer brings answers and changes things in my life. Prayer invites heaven down. Prayer is an invitation of surrender and faith to put my trust in an amazing, faithful God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything I can ask or think. Prayer is available for every single person in here. You don't have to go to a class to learn to pray. You don't have to have a degree in theology to know how to pray. You don't have to have been at church for 10 years to know how to pray. You can have a conversation with God right now. And you don't have to do it in King James either. You don't have to impress God. I, I learned a long time ago, I'm not impressing God on my best day anyway. 
So I can just come with whatever my mess is. Some of us are afraid to draw near to God because of our past, our shame. We feel like we're not good enough. In fact, the things I'm talking about today, I don't want you to approach any of these and think, well, I should do these because I know as a Christian, this is what I'm obligated to do. Do you know what will happen when you approach your walk with God like that? Is you'll be motivated by temporary guilt and shame, which is a short-term motivator, but only produces long-term bad fruit in my life. So, so if I... If I feel like, man, you know what, I gotta share Jesus, man, I gotta, that's what I gotta do. And so I, I do it for like a day or two, but then I'm, I only do it out of guilt. If I only read my Bible out of guilt and obligation, you know what I'll actually do? When I do things out of obligation, I do as little as I can. But when I do things from love for Jesus and love for people, cost doesn't factor into the equation. I'm not thinking about, oh man, I'm spending way too much time in prayer. I've never met somebody in 20 years of serving, praying, walking with Jesus and loving the church and leading the church. I've never had one person come up to me and say, Pastor, I prayed too much today. Never happened, not once. <laughs> but most of us, if we're honest, and I'll put myself there, I wanna pray more. I wanna be in his word more. I wanna draw near to God more because my wife said it earlier, uh, we can have as much of God as we want to have. So we should pray fervently. Matthew chapter nine, verse 35. What do we do when it comes to those who are far from God? We need to pray. In fact, that's actually where we start. It's not even first with sharing the message. It's first praying for those that are lost and praying for, well, let me just read it. Verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities, all the villages, teaching the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the crowds, the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were weary. They were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus looked at a crowd and rather than pointing the finger, rather than being harsh even towards them, he was moved with compassion. Do you know, I think we're more like God when we have compassion instead of criticism. That was good. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> if we had compassion instead of criticism, I think we'd see a lot more fruit. We'd see a lot more people come to Jesus. We'd, we'd be happier at least. Do you know there's going to be some people that are in that multitude that don't agree with you, that don't think like you, don't talk like you, don't act like you, that probably don't vote like you, that, that are far from God, and there's all these kinds of issues, and we're, some of us had family this last couple weeks, and, and, and if we're honest, man, they, it was great to see them, but we're glad they're gone too. Don't raise your hand. Because maybe it was a lot of argument, a lot of tension, and a lot of pressure, and a lot of stress, and, and all that stuff, and here's how Jesus saw people. He said, I have compassion. Because they're weary. Weary by what? Weary by shame, weary by sin, weary by fear. Weary by all the stuff that destroys the world. They're weary, they're worn out, and they're scattered, they're divided. I don't think there's a better two words that could describe the condition of people from that time and the people today. And some of us, we feel like we're there. Man, I'm, I'm weary, I'm scattered, all, all that. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus shows us compassion he brings healing, freedom. Compassion isn't sympathy. Sympathy can change the channel after it sees a sad commercial. Like the, the dogs are in the kennel and the arms of the angels song is playing and we <laughs> feel bad for that dog. And 
and, and, and we can change the channel, but, but compassion takes action. Compassion says, I'm going to pray. It always cracks me up when people are like, yeah, if they're a crisis or a, a tragedy, they're like, you know, I'm sending good vibes to you. If I'm having a bad day, don't send me good vibes. Pray. I don't need vibes. I need prayer because prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer moves things. Prayer changes things. Prayer invites a supernatural, amazing, good God into my life and into my situation. And your prayers fuel transformation in the world around you. Watch what Jesus said in response to this fact that they needed him. He turns to his guys, the disciples. He says, the harvest is truly plentiful. I meet Christians all the time that tell me, man, Things are so bad out there. It's a mess. People don't want God. People don't. Listen, I think we live at a time where there's the greatest opportunity in our lives to see people come to Jesus. We really are. If you don't know this, we're on the verge of the greatest move of God that our generation has ever or will ever see. People are hungrier for God than I've seen in 20 years. And, and, and that's, some of us don't see that because we're listening to only one voice. Okay, we need to recognize what God's wanting to do. He says, the harvest is plentiful. Like there's no shortage of, of harvest. But the laborers needed to reach the harvest, to gather it in, are few. And rather than just having a sad day, he tells them, here's what you do about that. Pray about it. He turns to him. He says, here's what I want you to do, guys. Pray that the Lord of the harvest sends laborers into his harvest field. Chapter 10, verse one tells us, and I like to read it from the Message Bible. It says, the prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called 12 of his followers, sent them into the right fields, gave them power to kick out evil spirits, tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. I, I love this. Here's what, here's what it, it, it tells us. He says, I want you to pray for the harvest. Why? Because when you pray, something happens. You connect with the heart of God. It's really hard to be around somebody you love, care about, and admire even, and not be influenced by them. Now, that can be a bad thing or a good thing. Like, you can be around somebody who's bitter, and you become bitter. Be around somebody who's critical, and you become critical. You get around somebody who's joy-filled, and it just it can't help but rub off a little bit. That's why I love to hang out with Pastor Nick. He's like the most encouraging person I've ever met. You get around people like that and they just build it. But, but here's what happens. That's true of God too. When we get around God and we find out what's on his heart, we begin to think differently. We begin to see people the way he sees people. We begin to get a touch of the compassion that he has. Rather than writing people off and being cynical and hard-hearted towards people and go, they've done it for the last time. I'm finished. I'm not trusting anymore. Instead, we get near to the one who's full of compassion and mercy, and it begins to transform our heart, and then we start praying what's on the heart of God. We start living for what matters for eternity. Prayer also opens up and makes available what God has for us. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you don't know right now. In fact, if you need a verse for this year, write that down as we do 21 days of prayer. Because every time you talk to God, every time you draw near to God, come with an expectation that when I call, he answers. When I draw near to God, he draws near to me. And he is going to show great and mighty things that I don't know. What can God do through a people that pray? Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin. And here's what I think we miss sometimes because God wants to forgive us of our sin, but he also wants to heal the land. What happens when the church prays? Do you know this is a, a, a verse of revival, a promise of revival for a nation? And it doesn't start with even the loss, but it starts with the people of God willing to humble themselves. Instead of pointing a finger, they bend the knee. Instead of talking about their sins, we repent of our own. And we come before God and recognize our own need of God. You know what God says? He says, when I see that and I see my people do that, I'm going to heal the nation. I'm going to heal the land. That's, the, that's what we're after, church. That's what we want to see. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus, after he gave the great commission, go into all the world. Then he says, Here, here's what I want you to do. Go and wait in Jerusalem. Go to your city. And I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you shall receive power, and you'll be witnesses. In Jerusalem, their city, Judea and Samaria, the region, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, some people read that as we should reach our city before we reach the world. Do you know he didn't say reach the city then? But he said, here's what I want you to do. Reach your city, reach the region, reach the world. I want us to reach North Iowa, our region. I want us to reach Mason City and any community that God calls us to, to impact. As a church, that's our mission. Do you know it's also a mission? To reach the nations. Why have we this year already, we've given to see hundreds of churches planted overseas, internationally, in the United States, all of that, that, that has no direct connection to our church. Why? Because there's 5.5 billion people that still have not heard. And do you know what God's concerned about? He's concerned about all of your needs and all of your, your issues and all the things that you're preoccupied with, but he's also looking at the lost. Desiring the lost. And he says, hey, when you pray, go and wait because the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Where there's much prayer, there's much power. Where there's little prayer, there's little power. God's called us to reach the world and we're gonna need his help to accomplish it. We can't do it with good programs, good ideas, good philosophies, good arguments. The only way to reach the world is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Number two, we give sacrificially. First, we pray fervently. Then we give sacrificially. I love Matthew 25. Jesus gives us a glimpse and tells us a kind of a parable, but he tells a story of, of what it's like at the end. He says, I'm going to divide the nations like sheep and goats. And he says, he's going to say to the sheep nations, he's going to look at those and he's going to, here's what he's going to tell them. The king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and, and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we visit you in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I tell you, as inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. What, what's he letting them know? He's saying, you're giving, you're serving, 
your visiting, your clothing, your feeding, all of those things were not just sacrificial, but they were acts of worship. Like what you did made an eternal difference. And what you did for them, you were actually doing for me. That's how God sees it. See, it's not just an obligation to give, but it's actually something greater. It's an invitation to partner with heaven to see the purpose of God fulfilled in the world. I am so thankful that somebody prayed for me when I was lost. I'm thankful that somebody gave in a local church and made it possible for me to encounter Jesus. I'm thankful that somebody served and, and, and brought Jesus to me. I'm thankful for the difference that made. And we have a privilege and an opportunity to do the same thing for others. To hold the door open. To make coffee and prepare an excellent environment. The, our, our team sings and practices and prepares uh, throughout the week. Our, 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 our kids team is serving so that somebody maybe for the first time can sit in church without their kids pulling their hair and climbing all over them. And they're giving them Jesus too. Somebody doing that in Jesus' name is making an eternal difference. I'm thankful for each and every one that does that. And when we give sacrificially, it creates the opportunity for people's lives to be impacted for eternity. And what we do to them and for them, we're actually doing as an act of worship to the king. And if you don't think God notices, he does. That's what he says. Hey, all those little things that you thought were overlooked, I saw them. I noticed it. It made a difference. And he did it for me. The third thing we need to do is to go readily. To go readily. Let me read the definition of letter readily real quick. Uh, readily means something is available or accessible without difficulty or delay. It indicates that something is easily or willingly available and could be obtained quickly and without much effort. When I read that definition this week, I thought, am I readily available to God? Does God have to, through much difficulty, get my attention? Or am I ready to go? Am I easily attentive and available to the master, to the king? When he calls, we say, here I am, send me. I think that's a good question to ask ourselves as we end one year and go to the other. How much effort does heaven have to exert to get my attention and to get your attention? Or are we readily available to the one who loves us and is for us and has called us all? Can, get God, can God get your attention? John chapter four, I wanna end with this story. It's a familiar one, but I love what it says about the nature and character of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, to go. And for us, as, as people, you know, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world. And uh, yes, that means there's gonna be times and we're gonna begin to plan some trips and do things to, 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 to really help see missions advanced out of River City Church and impact the nations. But can I just tell you, um, that's not the only way we go, is to get on a plane. And sometimes we think, well, if I get on the plane, something supernatural is going to be ha happening in my life. And the moment I step off the plane, I'm going to be the world's best evangelist. I mean, Billy Graham 2.0. But you know what that, the, the phrase, go into all the world, in, in the Greek the tense of that phrase is, as you go. Like you're already going, here's what you do. 
preach the gospel to every creature. Yes, we're to get on a plane. Yes, we're to fund missions. Yes, we're to do all those things. We're also to recognize we stepped into the mission field the moment we left this room. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. The task is greater than any one of us. And it needs all of us to see the purpose of God fulfilled. Uh, Luke, or John 4, excuse me, John 4, Jesus, I'll just summarize it for time because of, as we're wrapping up, but, but John 4 is the story of the Samaritan woman. Here's what Jesus does one day. He's walking with his disciples and he leaves, I believe it's Jericho, and he comes to Samaria, which Samaria is a, is a place of mixture. For a Jew at that time, Jesus and the disciples being Jews, normally a Jew would go literally miles out of their way to avoid going to Samaria. Because Samaria is where they mixed the worship of the living God with the worship of other gods. It's where they mixed the culture of the Israelites with the culture of the Gentiles. There was a lot of mixture. It was kind of like, you know, when you ever encounter somebody who's like, well, I'll take Jesus and I'll take all the other gods too. I'll take all the other philosophies. Like, you know, I got a coexist bumper sticker in my car. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Uh, anyway, so, so I just, let's just take it all. Let's take all the philosophies and all it, roll it into one, and that's, you know, just be a good person. But, but here's, here's the thing about the Samaritans. There were people who were hurting, lost, and Jesus was after them. And instead of going around Samaria like they would have done, Jesus, here's what it says in chapter 4, he needed to go to Samaria. And he needed to go for one person. He goes to a well. His disciples go off for lunch kind of probably frustrated that they have to walk into this place that they don't like anyway. They go off for lunch and Jesus is by the well and a woman comes up. She comes up with a bucket to draw water and, and as she's drawing water, Jesus says, would you give me something to drink? He started a spiritual conversation naturally. He didn't start with some heavy theology and sounding weird. That's good advice for anybody learning to share their faith about Jesus. Are you, are you with me? Because some of the stuff we've learned, they don't understand it. Jesus meets her where she's at, and he says, hey, you've got a bucket. Can you give me some water? Give me a drink of water. And she begins to draw water for him, and and then he turns the conversation to something spiritual. He says, hey, thank you for the water. By the way, I've got water you don't know anything about, and if you drink this water, you'll live forever. She goes, I want some of that water. And then he turns to something very personal. God begins to peel the layers of her heart back. He says, go and call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And he says, well, actually, you're right. You've, got, you've had five husbands, and now you're with another guy. And, you know, Jesus says all this. And we think, man, what, Jesus, why are you being so harsh? But he's actually not. He's not revealing the history and the mess of her life to shame her, but to heal her. Because what he's pointing to is she's had a bucket, not for the water in the well, but for relationships. And she's tried over and over to find love and find fulfillment. And every relationship left her more empty than the last. And here she is at the well. And Jesus is about to present her with the only answer, the living water. Jason, if you want to come up. Here's here's what happens. She's so impacted by what Jesus tells her that she goes back to her town And she reaches more people than the disciples (laughs) at this point. She goes back to the town and says, come meet a man who knows everything I ever did. And the people in the village, they know she's an expert in men. So they come 
to see Jesus. They leave the town and they gather around him and they listen to his words and they see his life and they see what he can do. And they tell the woman, we, we came because of what you said, but now we've seen for our own eyes, with our own eyes. But what you said is true. The disciples come back from gathering lunch and they come up to Jesus and they, they say, hey, we brought Subway. It's my version of it. We brought lunch. Jesus says, I'm not hungry. I go, hey, hey uh, Peter, did you leave your lunch with Jesus? John, did you leave him something? Jesus goes, no, you don't understand. I have food you don't know anything about. It's all in John 4. So I got food you know nothing of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And here's what he says. There's a, there's a phrase the religious people used. Because religion's really good at being an expert in what God used to do and what he might someday do. Revival's coming one day. Do you know revival's not just coming, it's here. And, and <laughs> Jesus said, you say four months and then the harvest. But here's what I want you to see, guys. He's telling his disciples this, look around you. These Samaritans that you would avoid like the plague. This is the harvest. The fields are already white for harvest. What's he letting them know? I'm about my father's business and I'm inviting you to be a part of it too. We have a family business if you didn't know. You've been created by God, saved by Jesus for the purpose of heaven. He, he, he doesn't just need you, he wants you to be a part of this to be a part of a family that lives forever in heaven with him, but also has a purpose right here on planet earth to see the lost become found, to see every person who's far have an opportunity to hear. We're within just a few years of the 2000th anniversary of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And every generation, the torch has been passed from that moment till now. And it's our time to carry that same message, we have a mandate. And it's not for just pastors and missionaries, it's for every person to carry Jesus to the world, to bring him everywhere we go, to be a light in dark places, to bring hope where there's hopelessness, to be salt and light, all of that. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. We're called to pray fervently. We're called to give sacrificially. I could tell you some stories of people whose sacrificial giving, so beyond their ability, made it possible for you to experience what you've experienced in God. It's the same for me. I've, I've had people do amazing above and beyond things just so that I could hear, so that I could know, and so I could grow in Jesus. And now it's, it's a privilege to be invited into the opportunity. Somebody asked me last year, I was doing a radio interview for the Christmas services last year, and they asked me, what's it like to be a pastor? And they wanted to know, like, do you just read the Bible all day? You know, those kinds of things. I said, you know what it's like? And I, I never thought this before, but this is what it's like for me. I get to have a front row seat to somebody's life being changed by Jesus. And that's my favorite part about it. And for you and for me, we get to see God heal and restore and set captives, do all of that. And he's not just gonna use somebody else, he wants you.
and, and, and we give of our gifts. We bring our talents, our God-given abilities, our spiritual gifts, all of that. We say, God, I'm making this available so that I can go and make a difference in the life of somebody. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.